My guests this episode are both London-born musicians with massive links to County Wexford. One is an international, multi-award winning, chart-topping male solo artist, the other an accomplished guitarist and producer. To their mams, they're Michael Stafford and Adam Jordan. To the masses, they're Maverick Sabre and New Machine. Do you believe in fate or like, do you just think it's a massive coincidence? Two lads, very similar in terms of both being born in the UK, massive Wexford roots in your formative rearing years and then finding each other in the UK and making music together yeah to that, yeah I do I think it's, it was meant to be you know? it's like a massive coincidence almost you know what I mean it's kind of higher power involved in oh, putting well, the two of you together being friends musical partners it's probably the weird the middleman the connection um, obviously you was it a competition or MTV thing yeah well I, I met I met Ben plan B uh, when I was like 15, 16, I supported him up in Dublin. And I was uh, backstage and I was spitting, everyone was back there spitting verses. And he came out and was like listening. And he was like, do you know what? I've got this vocal competition on my MySpace. Um, and it closes in a week or something. And uh, he was like, oh, enter it. It's to win a day, like a day in the studio in London. I was like, oh, sick. I'm definitely going to enter it. And I, me being my procrastinating self, I, I took ages to enter. And I remember Mo K rang me. He was like, did you enter that competition? It closes tonight. And I was like, oh, all right, sweet. So I, I, I did, the, it was like two instrumentals from Ben's first record. Yeah. You download them. Every and, day and something else. Every Yeah, and I think it was the title track, Who Needs Actually Gonna Go Wars. And entered it, won it, met Ben for the first time that summer. Oh, met Ben again that summer, sorry. Had a session <laughs> with him. Plan B rigged it, by the way. Plan <laughs> B rigged it. And, um, and yeah, um, he said, you know, what are you doing? I had applied for some b-tech computer course because it was the only thing i could get into and my mother was putting pressure on me <laughs> and, <laughs> and um he was like look forget that come over to london and you know keep cracking away and so i ended up kind of half moving in with him he let me use his studio in west london at the evening in the evenings after he was done with it in the day and i just met loads of people and adam was one of them people that i met yeah. what age were you at this stage i was at that stage, by the time I'd come over to London, I was 17, mm. 16, 17. 17. How did you end up backstage in the first place for you to be spitting verses? Because I was supporting him. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah there was a group at the time called Rap Ireland, um, and they were like a group of DJs that were getting booked by, I think it was MCD for loads of the gigs, but they used to bring MCs on with them. So we did loads of shows, I supported D12 and What was the venue, Ambassador? No, nah, it wasn't no? the Ambassador. Um, it was Whelan's or something. Something like that's not there no more, though, no? What? Nah, I think so it was Wheelands. Oh. I thought it was Wheelands, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then he kind of, he brought me into his family and his London family and, you know, really helped me out and I met loads of great people through him and got a lot, lot of, you know, beautiful experience and, and Adam was, was one of them people. And funny enough, Adam had actually messaged me years before MySpace. on MySpace <laughs> when we were really young mm. and he was like, oh yeah, that's, that's what... You're that fella. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Wexford. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, yeah. you essentially, like, live 20 minutes apart, you might as well say. So. Yeah, and growing up and for new, me, I had and no friends. Lo- no. Lo- loads of people know, knew Adam, and I'd never met him. Yeah, so we just had this weird, like, middle connection. Where we'd, we'd never, never knew met. each other. Yeah. And I had no music friends growing up in Wexford, ever. I only had my uncle and my granddad. So, like, as soon as we met each other, and I realised he's making music in a bedroom with a laptop, I was like, what you can do this <laughs> and now I can come to your house and rinse your microphone yeah, and what else yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you just mentioned your granddad there inspirations mm. growing up I know your granddad was the one that gave you your guitar first or at least yeah, taught you yeah. your first chords um, well I'm trying to think 
because he done a load of traditional stuff and I was into metal. Um, I was real hard metal and rockhead. And my younger, my uncle, he was like the cool one in the family. He used to wear ripped jeans and he's not a rebel, but he was the one that just wasn't like the rest of them. He played guitar and he was in a few bands. And um, he would have given me the first electric guitar. But um, I still didn't know how to play it. So then my granddad drew me down six chords on an acoustic guitar. And then that was it from there. I just kept learning. He drew them on a piece of paper. Then I banged away at them for about a week. And then from there, just kept learning from ear, basically. Mick, your dad's yeah. pretty much like a new Ross stalwart in the music scene. El yes. Victor. Yeah, yes. El Victor. Boy. And like, I guess that growing up, you would have been a very musical household. I was always around, I was very blessed to have always been around live music from very young, you know, my dad's always been in bands and, and, and always been playing and always been writing, which is one of the beautiful things that really inspired me growing up because he was just always writing and, you know, there was always new tunes he'd played to me that he'd just written and what do you think it is? And it was kind of similar to um, Adam's story there about the guitar as well. He was like, I'm going to teach you four chords on guitar when I was about eight. He was like, that's all you need. That's all you need. <laughs> you can, true, and you can learn the rest. You're now as good as the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, my, I was, you know, blessed to be around a lot of kind of inspiration yeah, and music. When we, even when we left his house today, Victor gave us his new album. Yeah, yeah, he just recorded, my dad just recorded year, so. a new album, um, Work in Life, and uh, yeah, he just... And my dad's getting better and better as the years go on, which is uh, another in inspiring thing, you know. So We're going to come back to your dad in a while, because mm. I know there's that whole new album talk and stuff, right? I'm going to get biblical for a second. Uh -huh. Two quotes from the Bible, right? <laughs> Christ also said, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. That's Luke 4, 16, 30. Mm. And only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Matthew 13, 54, 57. Interesting. Is it fair to say you would both agree with that sentiment on a certain level? Because for you, Mick, like in Ross, it just wasn't happening and whilst you had the whole rap Ireland scene it probably was never going to to be a full time professional level for you but you had to go away to come back respected so to speak even the name Maverick Sabre I'm sure like raised a few eyebrows and a few yeah, jeers like in your late teens when you come back is there I know there's a sense of achievement even like when we yeah. when I was in Ross with you earlier there was kids bamping the horn at you and shouting oh Mav you know giving it loads and all that like I know there's a massive sense of achievement there and a real fuck mm -hmm. you to detractors from early on but when you get people kind of doing that, do you, does it kind of piss you off a little bit that nobody saw it from day one? No, because that's, you know, it's, it's not, it wasn't for anyone else to see. It was only for, like, the main thing was I saw it and I believed in it. Mm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And I don't hold none of that. Or you didn't believe then, you believe now. That's, that doesn't go anywhere. What there is, is there's pure love there right now. And that's all I feel. It's positive. Yeah. And it's positive, you know. Mm. And do you know what the beautiful thing is? is the more and more I've come back over the years, the more young MCs and young singers and people stop me like, I've written this song. I got stopped the other night outside the chipper. And a young fella said, I've written this song, let me sing it to you outside. <laughs> oh, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we met this, this guy. I was, in, I was actually introduced to it by a friend of mine. And he's a local kid from New Ross, Scripta. Amazing MC. Still young, 17. Right? 17 yeah. And it's just like to see that now and there's a couple, there's Evan Murphy and yeah, there's producer. a couple of people, producer, and he's like, just like loads of young kids that were not doing that when I was growing up. There was like some metal bands and stuff, but there wasn't really anyone doing soul or hip hop or, you know what I mean? It was I had to go to Tremor when I met Correct Minds for the first time or go up to Dublin where I was introduced to like Urban Intelligence and da 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 da. Um, so it's, I think it's like an inspirational thing when I come back now. It inspires me to see, you know, kind of next generation of kids that now can believe in themselves, hopefully, and go, do you yeah. know what? I can be from New Ross and do hip-hop and sing R&B and do what I want to do. 
I remember when you first came through because like Let Me Go was obviously my first introduction to you yeah. and then I Need came after it and like I Need tells of a very depressed young fella mm-hmm. based in your ass at the time you wrote that you were just like still in school when you wrote 16, I Need 16 yeah at what stage did the Maverick Sabre moniker come about I, that was a, the very first bit of music I ever put out was on the Maverick Sabre it was when I was I was we. 14, 15, and I set up a MySpace page, and it was the day I had to set up the MySpace page. I was like, "What the? What am I going to call myself?" Mm. My name's Michael Stafford, and I was like, "My initials MS." I was like, "All right, sweet, that's a good start." <laughs> so I just started writing loads of words, M's that I thought was like an interesting combination. And you say you looked at an encyclopedia. I'd, or something Yeah, as well. I, the thing I found for so Maverick, someone who thinks outside the box. I was like, "All right, sweet, that's the first name sort of. That's what I feel like I'm trying to do here." And then the meaning I found for Sabre, which I've never been able to find it again, was someone who puts on a hard in front to get through hard times. And I feel like for me mentally, I've always been in stages that I've had to do that just in, internally, you know. So um, I just, yeah, they, they, they clicked and I never looked back. I hope your story is as deep for new machine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just like washing machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a new one that day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it was a weird one. It's kind of come with a load of meanings after I came out of it. So there used to be, there used to be a band called, what were they called now? Either way, they were a band, a rock band, rock, rock and rap band, and they had a song called Brand New Machine. And I'd always done so many different types of music that I had this thing where I, I was always a one man band. I'd always record my band stuff in the studio. I'd play the guitar, play the bass, play the drums, and I was always called like a one man band. So I wanted a name that sounded like it was a couple people. So people didn't know. When they find out it's just just me, they'll be like, oh, I, f- I thought it was a band sort of vibe. And um, one of my friends was like, don't call yourself Brand New Machine. Why don't you shorten it? And it'll be a bit cooler for the dubstep stuff. So he said um, New Machine. And I was like, hmm. Wasn't really sure about it, but I was in a rush to do your I Need remix. Well, and the same thing. Yeah, I just <laughs> needed one. And then they spelt it wrong and they wrote New Machines remix. So it sounded like even more people. But, it was <laughs> but then my friend come to me one day and I was doubting the name because I started doing more soul stuff, more Motowny stuff and whatever. And I doubted it. So I started to think it sounded a bit, I don't know, just a bit young or uh, very limiting, just sounded very electronic. And he was like, nah, because when I come to you, you're like a vending machine. He's like, you don't, you're going to put your 20p in for 20p? Pound, twenty p, <laughs> selling yourself well, a bit short, aren't you? <laughs> um, but um, he said, yeah, you put your money in and you press whatever you want, and it and it comes out. You want sprite, sprite comes. You want coke, coke comes. You want a uh, fairy cake that will come <laughs> yeah. as well. But yeah, just kind of different. Just, yeah, different stuck genres. now. Yeah. Make this third album, twenty second of March, when yeah. I wake up. Long yeah. time coming. It was a long time coming. Yeah, I remember like when Adam was home, Christmas twenty seventeen, and I remember being in his ear saying, "When's Mick dropping that new album?" Because like obviously I follow you on Instagram, so I see yeah. like you recording and writing. And one thing that I really love on your Instagram that I see you do is the bus test. Are oh you? yeah, I always do that. Yeah, yeah. Tell I've me been about doing that. that for What's years? I did it. Well, I've, I've did it as soon as I came to London. To be honest. Because when I'd moved back to London when I was like 17, I just found like London just every day was like, a, you know, it was like a, I'm really inspired off visuals. I write a lot to, to videos and music videos and films on mute while I make music. So I lo- I'm, I'm really like inspired by visuals and people, you know. So I used to just sit on the bus, sit right at the back of the bus, at the top of the back, put my headphones in and just sit for hours and listen to my, my songs and see if they had... 
you know, that same feeling I felt when they were being blared in the studio. If they feel like that looking out the window, does it take me away in the yeah, same way? Yeah, weird journey music. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, would they fit the narrative around you, the everyday kind yeah. of Yeah, and what do they make? What, what way does that like curb the way you intake the visuals that are going on around you? You know what I mean? When did you start work on this? Um, uh, when did I start work on this? Um, two? Two, three. No, yeah. it wasn't. It was, it was, no, it couldn't. It was, when would you have started making the first Basically, he he taught me how to produce first, and he stopped producing for years. And this album was the first time he finally started getting back out and physically producing himself. So when you started making Evergreen and them early demos, that yeah, I'd been I'd been working on it from from the end of 2015. Must have been yeah. And it was just because we put out In Our Standing at the end of 2000 November 2015, and uh, after that. I kind of like I pulled myself away from making my own music for a bit and I just started making beats and I started doing loads of sessions and I'd done some writing with from really early on with um, Georgia Smith and then that had picked my writing side of things up so I was in the studio 90% of the time writing music for other people mm -hmm. um, but of an evening I was I was getting my producing head back on and I'd, all the years that I'd kind of skipped out of not really producing or producing bits and pieces every now and then I started to really get into producing every night. So I was doing sessions in the day and then like sessions at night at home. Um, so I'd say probably like, yeah, two years. I'm going to have to bring this up. I don't care. That thing you played me and gave me, that Fool's oh, Love track. Fool's Love. That Made Fool's Love. Fool's Love. Every month. Have you recorded that song Have you done that? Like, yeah. right, basically. You're not just give it back to him and let him do it. And I'm like, <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah, because you played it to me last year and I was sitting around the sofa. It was like a random night over Christmas. Yeah, and, I was like, house, yeah. and I was like, this is fucking amazing. This track is unreal. And he was like, oh yeah, Mick wrote it for us. He doesn't really want it himself. He's not going to do anything with it. So me and Aaron are going to do something with it. And like every time I speak to him, I'm like, have you done anything with it? Yeah, forget any of your new tunes, but have you done that one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> forget anything you, you've got. Because I have, because you gave it to me and I emailed it to myself. So I have it in my Gmail yes. and I'll be driving somewhere and I'll play it and I'll put it on the heavens and I'll just go, that is everything. Because it's so simple and it's so stripped back. I played it to a friend of mine. Who do you think that is? Yeah. And the first person they said to me was Prince. Oh wow. wow Swear down Swear down They said to me That sounds like Prince Sounds like a Prince demo He is singing peculiar on it yeah, and, yeah, I was, yeah, and I was yeah. like Nah man I was like That's Maverick Cyber And I, I told him the story About how I came into possession Of the track That's one of you Needs to finish no, that No it does Such you know He's what? edging funny on to mentioning it lately so. fun, Funny enough Yeah I, I have I've mentioned When it goes to number one I won't claim for making yeah. You fucking finish <laughs> it The same thing happened I want I, points I, A friend of mine Played it to his brother And every time I see his brother He's like Yeah how's everything How's everything uh, and how about that tune? When you put now, put that tune, will you? Like, so yeah, and he's and he came over to London recently and said the same thing to me. So it's such a track, yeah, man. But right back to the lecture <laughs> hand. What is coming out? Like I said, when I wake up is out twenty second of yeah. March. Um, is it all you? Is there collabs? I know you have your dad on there. I believe it's I've got my dad on. My dad's the last vocal on the whole album. Um, on a song that me and him um worked on called Glory. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot. Like I'd say maybe. 60% of the production's completely mine on it. It's been my first time back, like, actually being really, really hands-on on the production side of things. Um, I've got, like, a similar similar crew of people that I work with. Um, you've got Adam on there, producer Charlie Perry, Ed Thomas, Egg White. Um, don't want to forget any names now. Um, got Chronics singing on there. Um, Georgia is going to be on there. Um, and then loads of friends and family that are just involved on, on every level yeah, in -house how did you end up with Joey Badass on the last album just personal connection to be honest um, 
what was was the first thing? I think he tweeted, "I need lyrics," and then I hadn't heard of him before, and they came up in my feed, and I went on, and he just released the 1999 mixtape. Why did he even put that out yet? Nah, no, he hadn't put that out. It was just the uh, the song with him and, and um, Steez. Steez, yeah. And I heard it, and then I heard this this tune that he'd done over a beat. It was like a Miles Davis sample that I loved, and I'd just done something over recently. And I kind of fell in love with what he was doing. And um, he was still young at the time, and so we were just chatting. And when he first came over to London, uh, we met on stage, because we had a, before he'd come over, he'd asked me to do a remix of My Ute that originally had Collie Bods on it, but he wanted to do a UK version. What was that for, Summer Nights? For Summer Nights, which was the next project. And then... Um, it had done so well so they made it the main the main version and so we met on stage and he was about 17 he must have been 17, 18 and about 6 foot 7 at the time as well yeah, yeah, big deeper too. voice than everyone in this room <laughs> yeah, yeah. and Cork was with him and a couple of people and Nick I think was with him at that stage and um, yeah I met him on stage and we just I went to New York he was in a couple of my videos and I was hanging out with him there and when he came over we were in studio and started working on my second record and had to get him involved and yeah, it's just fr- the majority of people I walk with. It's just friendships, to be honest. Like yeah, over here, similar was, families. All yeah. yeah, all similar. I was, uh, you know, outlook on what we want to do with music and the message we want to put behind it. And you produced that Joey track, didn't you? Is that you? Yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. want to be. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we went back on we, well Mick as well, but we went back and forth on it for ages. Yeah, yeah, ages. Yeah. Took us ages to even get the verse from him as well. A weird story, but. Um, yeah, he was just busy. busy we can get young weird. We can get weird. <laughs> What's the weird story? No, I weren't even mad. It was just. Who was he? he was on tour with someone. He was on tour with Disclosure. I no, think he was on was. tour with Disclosure, and I think he, I think he ended up getting some kicked mishap, off the tour. Yeah, some mishap happened. happened. <laughs> but he rang me, and he was like, "I think he's on tour with Disclosure, or I think he's just after got being chucked off the tour. Some something's happened." And I said, "Put him in a cab now and bring him to the studio. Like we've been waiting a year for this verse. Let's get him in now." And he, luckily, um, he wasn't busy, and he just got him in a cab, brought him to the studio, came to the studio for two, three days. Took him, yeah, and we made loads yeah. of music in there as well at the time. Yeah. He was vibing. He was in a like um, a studio that's actually sadly not there anymore. Um, in in, in Hoxton, um, unbelievable studio. Just the energy in there it was like dates back from like the sixties and seventies. Just felt like Marvin Gaye wrote anything that was good in there. Like, <laughs> it just had this it. classic vibe to it, and he was just on a roll in there, and he was in there every evening to like six, seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock in the morning, just whoop, 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 banging out. And uh, yeah, that was that was kind of one of the the two days, yeah. two three days Lots we had. Of people it. floating through the yeah. chip, a couple other people they all met as well. It was just good because everyone that was coming around the studio, there was just this weird energy. And like I said, everyone that we normally meet, their family are good people as well. So everyone Joey chills with is like they're proper. Yeah, everyone they're, is yeah. as good as each other, and you love everyone. Do you know what I mean? And then everyone just intertwines and just becomes weird friends even if we don't make music it's just like it's good to yeah. know good people do you know what I mean yeah. it's really interesting times in that like in terms of American hip hop London seems to be a real centre now for people coming like ASAP Rocky pretty much lives there records there a yeah, lot of the yeah. time Drake has got the whole thing going I'm a sceptic what is it about London that attracts that vibe I wonder in hip hop I feel what's done it recently is I feel like almost London only specifically because only specifically maybe why it's more attractive now to Americans or Canadians and that side of the, that side of the war. I feel like it's almost now, like when, when Southern hip-hop suddenly became a thing and everyone was like, there's this new flavor of hip-hop and the traditionalists were like, oh no, what are you? I don't like the beats, I don't like the flows, but people kind of fell in love with it because it was fresh. And I feel like London now is offering something that 
even though on paper has been done before, it's there's a new vibe to it, and I feel like that's what people are kind of becoming attracted to. And now London's like the real hip city. Everywhere we go, it's like, oh, you're from London now. It's like the real trend. Another main thing you see city. though is even from Skepta just being the main example, I guess. Um, and it will happen here, and I'm seeing it happen here, and that's why I want to come over here more and just have more conversations with any of the younger generation that um, from hip hop or anything. But as um, soon as you stop caring and you stop worrying about blowing up in America and you stop worrying about anything else and you realise my accent's cool, the clothes we wear is cool, even my, my accent's so mad anyway, but um, yeah, the cl everything we wear is, is dope. So like, why would we care about always trying to impress some other yeah. big massive countries? Like we've got what we've going, got going on here. It's like, let's not care no more. And it's going to happen here. Everyone's so thrown off again, Irish accents. Um, People feel a bit weird about even doing hip hop or anything urban over here, just being Irish, because it's not really a, a nation known for that. It's a nation known for traditional music or a bit of rock. So um, once people get past the social pressures, all your mates saying, ah, you Egypt, you think you're Eminem and all of that, once that stops and rappers are cool, then this country is going to thrive musically as well. Mm -hmm. People just need to stop caring. Speaking of things blowing up in Ireland and just people who've been doing it for a while, um, Mick, you came back recently to shoot your video for Drifting here. Mm -hmm. Paul Allwright, Little Dialect, yeah, of course, Darren as well. Yeah. Explain to me the idea and the thought process behind that video. Um, like For anyone who hasn't seen it, obviously it's based in, it was Ballymun, was based it? Based in Ballymun, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the idea was really, I played, I sat down and I played like six tunes to a, a young director called Hector, Hector Doctor. And... Um, he fell in love with like, I think maybe like four of them. He was like, yeah, I've got to shoot a video for all these. And the first one I played him was Drifting. And he'd had this rough idea of um, of um, a guy's last day before he supposedly goes away. Whether it's going away because he's going to prison or going away because he's escaping something. But it was his last day. Um, and we kind of sat down and discussed like, yeah, let's shoot in an Ireland. And especially in Ballymun, I've, you know, over the years of me um, emceeing, I've, be I've become quite close with, you know, Paulie and there's a, a, a great guy called Dean Scurry who used to look after. Dean, yeah, massively. Who Dean gave me my first ever gig. And I messaged him online. He was looking after Urban Intelligence at the time. Um, and he was doing youth hip-hop workshops in Dublin. And he was like, can you make it to Ballymun? And I was like, I'm 15, I'm still in school. So it's going to be a little while before I can come up. It was like every Wednesday evening. I was like, oh, it's going to be a bit difficult for me to do that. He goes, we've actually got a gig in Tremor, in a Bali man or something like that, mm -hmm. I think it was. Um, yeah, we've got a, a, a gig in Tremor. Um, and come, yeah, come, come down to it. And I, uh, I went down and met Dean for the first time. And we've always kept a really good, close relationship. Um, and I just felt like Ballymun was definitely the place. There's such a, there's such a story there. Um, there's so many characters that I've kind of known and fallen in love with and friends. And Dean introduced, Dean introduced me. And there's so much. And I wanted mainly out of this video was what we were trying to do with I Need and what I want to do more. We're going to come back and we're going to come back and shoot a, a, a 15 minute short film. We're going to come back and shoot a video for Glory. And I want to show a side of cinema and an image of Ireland that hasn't been seen enough or a different untold stories that haven't been seen and give a different perspective. I've always, since I started, you know, traveling with music, I've always played Irish music and especially Irish hip hop everywhere I go to everyone, big, small, any country I've gone to and people have fallen in love with it because they feel it like, and I always feel like it hasn't been visually represented 
as much as it should be. So yeah, we want to try come back and 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 shoot something beautiful, you know, and capture a real element of Ireland, not just Ballymun, not just anywhere specific, but an Irish energy that when you watch it, you feel like you feel something. You know? mm. It's representative of a kind of a, a culture that's there that, like you said, isn't seen all that often, yeah. particularly in like music videos. Like we're talking about kids in Ballymun riding horses and. You know, just various other things that are very Dublin and to people who are Irish, they're kind of like, that's what they might associate with Ballymun, but it's never really seen on screen or seen in the public eye as such. Right, yeah. And I also wanted to give that side and then also, you know, the whole point of the video was to get across his battles. It was his inner battles. That's what the concept of drifting was. He's drifting internally, mentally. And he's got this show of show of like bravado in front of his friends. When he's with his mum, it's emotion, like, I don't want to let you go. When he's with his missus, it's kind of jokey, but there's, there's still a lot of love and care there. And when he's by, hisself, by himself, he's breaking down. Destructive, yeah. He's destructive, he's breaking down, he's afraid, he's, in, he's crying and he's in silence and he's wandering and getting lost in the sky. And that was the kind of, it was about a, a, a young, young man specifically, a young man's battle with himself and with the, the, the front that he has to put onto the rest of the world and then what he has to do when, he, when he's by himself at home. You know? Another type of video you've been doing lately, which I'm a huge fan of the series, Colours. Yes. Is that yeah. in Germany? Is it based or where? Yeah, it's yeah, just, Berlin. it's in Berlin. Yeah, just 15 minutes, like about 15 minutes from the city centre. And I love the series, like just even the look of them, it's so simplistic, it's called Colours, if you've never seen it, it's basically Shaking like the artist yeah. singing live into a mic and just various full-on just coloured backdrops. Is it all yeah. a green screen and then they put so the colour what, what they did for the first year or two, they used to paint it okay. every time someone come, came in. Um, but now it's a, it's not a green screen, it's a green room. So the dimensions are all, all in that feel is mm -hmm. real, but it's it's painted green and they, just, they swap in and out. Yeah. How did you end up doing it? Um, I was a massive fan of it, to be honest. Um, I fell in love with it and I was just like, I got addicted to watching it. Mm. it for me, I, I was always a big fan of like shows like Jules Holland or other voices where you'd watch it. You might know one act, but you're really watching it to get introduced to someone you've never seen before. Yeah. That's what and I was just about to say to you. It has that Jules Holland effect because YouTube plays them on a playlist. Yeah. Like, this and is sick. You might, you might not like one, you'll definitely like the legs. You might not like two, you'll definitely like the next one after that. There's always something in there for everyone, I think. And an artist you don't like might impress you. Uh, exactly. Because well. mm -hmm. it's a moment. It's like, and, you know, you can't go on there. I don't think you, can, you can't go on there. It's, it, it shows everything it's for what exposed. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Completely And they exposed. don't play games. Like, they, it is what it is. And they're mad efficient. You get in there and, you know, they've got everything set. It's such a sickly, swiftly run. Um, How many takes fair. do they allow you? Right, so not being egotistical. One take, Mick. I didn't even yeah, do we did, <laughs> uh, Both of them, I've done two takes. Yeah, <laughs> and when I was in last, we were joking. Because they messed up on the camera and they were like, oh, that's three. And I was like, nah, 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 nah. Forget about this. This is two. Still two. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I said to him, I was like, you know, um, off the record, what was your line? They wouldn't tell me his name yet, but they said someone came in and did 50, 52 takes. What? You were in there for like five hours. But that's what's mad, I guarantee it was someone phenomenal. Not someone rubbish. No, it was obviously a, like a, a an mad, absolute like a prince. Like I a have a couple of people in my mind that I think it might yeah. be, but yeah. <laughs> so how did the link happen with that? Like oh, you sorry, you, yeah, you're the, a massive the, fan. The, yeah, the link, the link happened. So I went off completely on a yeah, tangent. No, I think it's my <laughs> fault. Um, <laughs> it's this fool eating a bloody chicken, <laughs> chicken, <laughs> chicken roll here. Um, yeah, I was a big fan. We had a tune. Me, Georgia, and George the poet followed the leader. And I said to my manager, I was like, "Mate, we need to hit up Colors. I've been, I'm a massive fan. I love it." and hit him up and yeah they asked us to come over and then we just like you know 
got a really good connection with the the crew of Colors and um, yeah, and they asked me back on with the with the the, the Chronics tune. Way bigger now though. When you done it with Georgia, it's still building. Like some people still, even the fact that you said some people here haven't really. Yeah, 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 it, it's yeah. Still growing, but yeah, yeah, you capped onto it quite early. Yeah, it's a wicked show, man. They've got like a really good, strong fan base, and it is. It's like it is for me. It's like the same traction I remember getting on Jules Holland. Mm. Loads of people watch it that will never have heard of you before, and they go on to Colors for the same thing to be introduced to new music. So it's just been nice that I've been able to go on it. Like you know, massive respect. Um, George the Poet and No Chronics mm. and it's just yeah it's nice that I was able to do it with them two tunes in comparison to working on the first two albums mm. would you say that you've put a lot more care into this a lot more time spent a lot, been a lot more critical of your own work I know they say that like you know you have 20 odd years or whatever to write your first album but yeah, in yeah. terms of producing it and being happy with it has this been has this one been a lot more of a labour of love um, yeah I don't know I think the di- I think the difference with this is I, I care less I don't mean that in like a way of oh I've I'm I'm caring less about what I'm putting into the music or whatever. I'm really just this was this whole album was kind of born out of me rediscovering you, just me you. Yeah. in a weird way. This for me feels like a a new debut. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what other way to describe that, but it just feels like there's a new fresh hunger to how I made this record. Um, and I don't think now nah, I've been overcritical. I think almost the opposite. I've kind of like really just honed in on what have I fallen in love here with? What makes me the most excited about what music I'm making now? And and that's kind of how the album was was made. You know. Let's be frank here. Second mm-hmm. album, fantastic musically. Like I love your second Bro, album, and you can Bro. really see how the first, how it's, you know a development from the first album. Mm-hmm. But it kind of did fall victim to record in- industry politics. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, it was a, it was a, it was definitely, it was an awkward time in many different aspects of my career at the time because management-wise, I'd changed. I'd gone into a company that was, was I was under Elton John's management company, you know, um, Rocket, and got into it a really good time, and stuff internally was going on there, which affected my manager who I'd signed up for, which ended up me not really having a full-time proper manager there. For the, for the two years I was there. And in that two years, by the time I'd come back to release the second album, my label, which was Mercury, had now changed and had merged with Virgin EMI. So my two A&Rs who signed me had left. The head who'd signed me had left. They dragged a load of other people and, away as and, well. Yeah, and they'd took, taken a load of the team away. So when I'd come back, it had gone from a small team that was, it was like me, Chase and State as you two and... Elton or something when I was releasing mm. right? and uh, it was like four acts max in rotation at a time so when I came back there was a new label a new team and like 28 29 acts in rotation at one time okay and now suddenly there's Taylor Swift on the label and there's and I'm like all right my I've always my stuff has always needed TLC you know what I mean it's not some quick pop thing I need to you know sit with this and really think of good ways of mark like it's all marketing and you know, really sit down and, and give some love to pushing the album, and and I feel like it did fall by the uh, fall by the side a tiny bit. Which in turn, when I left, I left everyone within a week. I'd come back from two a tour in Australia and a tour in the UK and Ireland. Um, the start of two thousand and sixteen, and I came back and I was disappointed, you know, because I'd put three years of hard work. Of course. And, and in between that, we were I was really grafting and you know being and on like the music was so good. Yeah, and I loved it. And they were like, and that so for me, I was like, nah, 
I can't let this spirit die in me and be like, oh, I've, I've wasted three years. The songs are still there. I said, you know, what do I need to do now? I need a fresh start. So when I came back after two tours, I just, within a week, I'd left everyone. I, I'd left my management, I'd left my label, I'd left my booking agent, I'd left everyone. And I was like, I need a fresh start. And that's why I've spent the last, the last two years rebuilding a team of people that were kind of always around me anyway. I just didn't see clear enough that they were really the team that I needed all along. Um, and, and almost reigniting a flame in me to, to push back into that second record. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So my success for me now, my hunger moving forward is always to shine back light on that when it has its moment again, you know, which I believe in. So yeah, it was a, it was a, a weird period for me releasing music, but it was a, the greatest learning curve because now I'm with like, for me, the best crew of people I could be around at all, you know? So I'm, in a weird way, it's actually kind of worked out for me personally in my favour. You, know, you wouldn't have at, produced this To where I'm at. Not to, and I wouldn't have made none of this. Would have I wouldn't have, not, I wouldn't have made producers. anything that yeah. I've been making here now. I wouldn't have been on, I wouldn't have done the colours thing with George. I wouldn't, that, none of that would have happened, you know what I mean? So it basically served as inspiration and motivation. Yeah, it served as inspiration. And it served as a bit like a shedding skin, to be honest. And, and shedding, uh, uh, for me, people that, that weren't working as hard as I was. I've always felt that like if Adele had sang Fallen Again, it would have been number one. Do you know what I mean? I kind of That's the way I felt about it, because I remember hearing it at the time and then like, just listening to the album over and over. And I kind of revisited it this past week. And when I heard it again, I was just like, man, Jesus, Like if that had been an Adele tune, it would have been like you yeah, know, an it, anthem for... But Adele on Mercury, though, <laughs> because I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, no, On but, her current label with her current help and team, that's the main thing being is not Adele or her status is the fact that she still has the team that are willing to promote mm -hmm. her. So if she was over at Mercury at them times, the same thing might have, because he was on a level as big, not obviously not worldwide as big as them, but he was heading towards the same direction any of them, mm -hmm. any of them monsters headed towards. Yeah, because so. like, basically she started out as like a soulful female voice and you yeah. were like, you were doing kind of male soul. You had something different because mm -hmm. you had the Irish background, you know what I mean? Like here you are this white kid that has this Irish English kind of, mixture going on and singing soul music but singing like I, I know we've been told many times that people hear your voice and they assume you're black because it's so soulful you know and I, like that's one thing I always kind of came back to was like, you know this, the music was there but obviously it was the politics that failed it kind of yeah. to an extent yeah yeah of course like you know? anyone who's even dipped their toe into the music industry can understand that in a moment politics and anything can change you know what I mean mm -hmm. so. and nobody wants to be that example or nobody wants to be that statistic but it does happen and it can it, even happen to you after like your huge I mean, it can happen. success it happens to a lot of people and I think the, the, the decision we as artists need to do are, is do we wait do we sit and wait and be shelved because that's what they were doing they were, oh we'll offer you this and you can sit and release this and oh, develop again and, and develop and maybe bring some artists in and develop you can either sit and wait and rot your life away on the shelves of a major record label if they're not pushing you or supporting you. Or you can take a leap of faith and go, you know what? Let me bring it back to before I had any of this. Base level. Base level. Like what, what was I doing when I had none of this? I was releasing more music. I was still connecting with people, still shooting good videos. still. And now we've come off it and I'm doing exactly what I've always been doing, but now free. Mm. And now one, I don't have, everyone around me understand we're all together you know they hear they're they're with me they're family they're not like someone i need to go and convince to like my music I'm like nah what why would i have people working with me or around me and pushing my music that not even fans so you're going to go into an office and try sell a dj my next tune when you don't even like it 
that don't make any sense to me. Nearly so happened to glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just like, you know what? Let's rebuild and and um and I, and I really you know I sat and I watched my good friend Zubin, who's my manager now, who'd been my lawyer for the last ten years. He played me Georgia when she was like fifteen, sixteen, yeah, yeah. and played me two tunes. She no one had heard anything, and he was like, I think I'm going to get into management. Uh, what do you think? Would you, you know, do a session with her? I was like, and wasn't, yeah, sweet. Wasn't one of them blue lights though? She no, had she had one of them songs. No, it was Teenage Fantasy. Teenage Fantasy, that was it. She was originally Teenage Fantasy. Which is even which impressive is, that a 15 year old would write a song Which is like crazy. That. And I heard this one night, like four o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh my God, who is this? So anyway, we did our first, we did George's first session when she came down to London. And, uh, and I watched him over the two, two years before they started putting any music out, watch what he was doing and developing. And I always used to go to him with, all my like he's he's my Too my yoda like mm. i go to him and ask him for advice on everything and um and then when i came off everything he was like you know what it's, we should have been doing this for a long time so was, he was like should i start managing you and we'd use the same you know same same uh you know the platform same ideas and same team and you know it's all family all you know all hector's directing george's videos he's coming back he's directing more of mine and it's just yeah, it's American a family. House, yeah. It's family, you know. And what he's mean? a music lawyer, so ain't nobody fucking up about this time. <laughs> <laughs> I find it really interesting that you said you're at a place now where you almost don't care and you're a lot looser with it. Whereas if I was in that position, I'd probably feel a lot of pressure. Do you know what I mean? But I guess yeah. it's just Mate, different people. It's just a switch though, isn't it? Mm. Really. Pressure's only something that you make it out and perceive it to be. Then you've come from the pressure of having to care when you was at major labels. Yeah, stuff, I, so that's yeah, even I came, bigger pressure. I came from like sitting in you know universal with 14 people sat around the table like well to know what we're gonna do here now they don't want to play this or they're not we're not really a fan of this or blah, blah, blah. and yeah we don't know what we can do and they're like, holding their hands up to me and i'm like i'm 24 you know 24 25 and i'm like i've just given you for me like some of the best songs i've ever written and you're saying you don't know what to do with and it did you doubt yourself for a minute what? You doubt yourself because that's going to be my next point. Well, yeah, yeah. You'd be, you'd be stupid to never say that there was any doubt. Of course it is. And that, when I started to feel that, that was even worse because I was like, that made my hunger even angrier because I was like, nah, no way is anyone ever making you feel that you can doubt yourself in yeah, this. So I need, I need to remove myself from these people. They're not good. I can't have people going, oh yeah, they didn't answer that call or they closed that door and... I need people to go, nah, they close that door, that's all right, I'm going to kick it down. <laughs> that's what, because that's my attitude that I've always had for it and anything I support. So I needed people around me that had that belief, you know, and they were there around me in the form of Zubins, and, you know, people like that. So this was the second album, like those meetings were kind of had in around. Yeah, 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 most definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. As soon as you stopped caring, that was a relief because it's like you reaffirmed your own belief in yourself, which is the main reason you ever want to be a musician or an artist in the first place. The day you go, oh, I'm going to do this because you believe in you. Your mum doesn't, your dad doesn't, but you was making music in your room. You believed in yourself. Throughout them journeys, it's very, very, very easy to lose the confidence in your own ability just because of other people being involved. You know what I mean? So as soon as you've just stepped back away from it now and you're not caring, there can't be any pressure because you've realised again, I am the shit. I've got a more comfortable team around me. So it's like there's, there's no pressure in sight, really. Yeah, yeah. It's all on your own terms. You're releasing when you want to release. It couldn't. It couldn't be perfect. It couldn't be more perfect. No, nah, and I'm and I've for, and for any artist. Of course, yeah. And for me, it's like, you know, there's always a big thing. I think artists feel a way about coming away from major record labels. They feel like, oh, suddenly my connections with people are gonna disappear. It's like that doesn't. If 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 you've connected with people, 
I've still got, you know, some of the biggest songwriters out there like Egg White, Jimmy Hogarth, who are all met through labels but connected with them. And the connection will always be there and they'll, I'll always write with them, you know. And they're on uh, this record as well. And yeah. they're on this record. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's what they've carried through. <laughs> directors yeah. all carried through. Everyone, you know what I mean? It's, I think people people get very attached sometimes, even when when shit this the the, the ship's sinking, you know. Um, a major label is like a security blanket to them because it's something yeah. they've always wanted. It's something yeah. with me. That's what we've always been told, and it's but, only been recently. The only artist I ever remember hearing about doing anything strongly independent was if anyone remembers a rapper called Cormega. Do you remember Cormega? No. It was on Nas, AZ, okay. kind of. And he, I remember seeing his CDs in HMV, and they were like thirty six pounds. And I was like, why are these so expensive? And he had his, set up his own factory outside New York and he's printing up all these CDs. He was doing it himself and he was gigging and touring the world. And he became massive, like independently. And I was like, wow, this is, wow, I've never heard about anyone doing it independently. with the hundred, hundred dollar mixtapes. Yeah, and yeah now, let's, let's not ask how he managed to set up that factory where that money yeah, came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, independent. And then now, independence like this, new beautiful thing that everyone's kind of jumping on and it's like right you know what if you've got the right team around you the independent route is a very feasible route what's the writing process like for both of you you mentioned you write a lot to like movies and stuff on mute what about you adam what are the strange both of you the stranger things that you find inspiration in like i love your story behind let me go that not a lot of people would know Uh, everyone thinks it's a love song and what is it it kind of is a love song in a it way. is a love song it's a love song to it's, it's a love it's like a love song to a really bad relationship like that you just oh you still I still love us to think about I still uh, just love whiskey him. to be honest whiskey was just getting me in horrendous situations oh, at the time when I just signed the deal I was young Mad I was in man. London I was going to all these parties I didn't know what I was doing I did know what I was doing and it was trouble yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let <laughs> and let me go was my, my little uh, yeah love song what kind of movies are you writing to on mute? Um, Lahane was a big one. On awesome this. flick. Lahane was a big one. I see one. you're following that guy on Instagram as well. I am too. The Goldie's been plugging. They're doing, doing the t-shirts. T-shirts. They look great. They posted up some new t-shirts there recently. He hasn't got an online store yet though. He needs to get them up. Yeah, I'm mad yeah, about it. I, I yeah. learned of him through Goldie. Uh, he sent him the Lahane t-shirt. Yeah. And I was like, I want that. That's sick. And then I went onto his page. Every so often when I see a post, and then I went on to see Followed by Maverick Saber and Goldie. Am I being stupid? Is Lahane anything like City of God? Both of them films I'm planning to watch this week. Lahane's like oh. a French thing. Yeah, it's a French. And what's City of God? And City of God's yeah, Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, 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 yeah. But any form of same sentiment or style uh, Only the similarity would just be that the there's, there's gang life yeah. involved in it. You Fair know enough. what I mean? But they're both fantastic films. But yeah, any... I, yeah, for me, it was mainly like a lot of music videos that have got no lip sync in it. So no performance from the artist, just like cinematography. Um, that's what I really write a lot to. So. Your Wolves project is on a real kind of 2080s tip. Yeah. Maybe you yeah. quoting that to me last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And you became yeah, obsessed. even. <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. And you, you became obsessed with uh, that San Junipero. Yeah, episode, episode of, of Black, Black Mirror. Mirror. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's just because of the time I saw it being engulfed in trying to make this wolf sound that we've been basically trying to create for two years and um i just recently saw black mirror anyway so it just blew my mind especially for me being an old school weed head conspiracist <laughs> do you know what i mean like black mirror was just a different level and it's um it was just a weird everything i hated about the 80s growing up which is why it's surprising i'm making that sonic now was there was just cheesy stuff at the forefront of everything 
it just it just looked really I don't know I didn't want nothing to do with it 90s was my stuff but yeah 80s was just cheesy as hell and um with this black mirror episode it's it's got this weird um twists of darkness in it where it's all it's got like a happy concept about when you die you go to this Sandra Napero place but then once you go to the Sandra Napero place spoiler alert it, oh yeah <laughs> but yeah there's this like weird overtone of dark and sadness once you go there anyway because you, everyone's always having a question in their head of like do you want to live forever and I mm. selfishly do sometimes but then if you did would you drive yourself insane and I just liked that it wasn't just some cheesy happy 80s weird episode mm. and um when I started putting it on mute, in the, I think I just done it by accident because um, I've always been around him when he plays visuals, but it wasn't. That's not really my thing, and I think we just had it on mute while we was working. And I turned around and just stuff. You was with me, you was with me. Um, stuff just started sinking, and um, I was playing certain songs, and I was literally just flicking through the episode on my laptop, and I was like, "Bro, this is this is the video." Mm. <laughs> like I can't explain it, and then that birthed where I want to go with Wolves visually, and. Um, and I didn't really think I'd ever want to do anything conceptually either, but it just gave me an idea of kind of doing, not short film or anything, but ep episode by episode, I want the music video to be the next episode and kind of carry on the story um, and just be one big concept at the end of it. Because the Wolves thing kind of has a bit of a vaporwave kind of vibe to it. Like vaporwave has become really, really cool now online. I'm seeing mm -hmm. loads of like visuals of all these crazy purple outrun looking things. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like and I was thinking, and I, that your music really fizzled. Like you, that Drake cover is better than the Drake original. Oh, thank you, man. is better, man. Like, but it so is. It's sick. But um, something that I recommend both of you watch, right? I saw this the other night. Totally random thing. I like clothes. We spend a lot of money on clothes, whatever. Alexander McQueen, the designer. You know, the guy uh, sadly passed away. He hanged himself. Have any of you oh, ever I didn't know that? Yeah, a okay. couple, couple of years back on the eve of his mother's funeral. You oh, should watch the documentary that's knocking about, right? Just as artists yourselves that are into things. Know. Like McQueen was kind of like the wild boy of British fashion at one stage, did all these crazy. Who loves him? ASAP or Kanye? Someone mentions him all the time, Alexander McQueen. I'd say it's probably, I'd say it's Rocky, because Rocky yeah. was the first person I ever saw wearing a pair of the big fat sold runners, which I got okay. a pair for Christmas from my missus. Hey. Yay! Totally recommend you both watch it right, because he was kind of like just this young upstart rock star of fashion mm -hmm. and just did crazy fucking things. Like, to me, Fashion shows are people walking down the catwalk, blah, 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 blah. Have you ever seen any of this dude's fashion shows? Any of the things he did? Madness. There was one of them where it was set up like a padded cell. So imagine like London Fashion Week, big square padded cell. It's all made it looked at. And inside it, the middle, there's a box, right? Mm. And you see the models coming out and he's got bandages on their heads and stuff. And it's not like models just walking around up and down a catwalk. There's perspex uh, on each side. So it's like a big box and the the media are all on the outside see the models coming up and like it's almost like the models are actresses they're coming up as if they're insane and they're clawing against the windows you've got like yeah. Kate Moss and Jodie Kidd and all these people doing this thing yeah. but then at the very end of it the box in the middle the sides fall away and smash and it's got this big fat chick with like a gas mask on and moths and everything flying around her and it's said in the documentary it's almost like fashion's worst nightmare Fat women and moths, because moths eat the clothes. Yeah, clothes yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But you need to see some of the fucking fashion shows, man. He did one so in uh, one of the old markets. Um, it, was, it wasn't the fish market. Somewhere in London, like late at night, you see like Liam Gallagher and Patty Kensett and everyone's in the crowd. And just like, and just, they said that like a load of fashion students bum rushed the gates to get in and just wrecked right. the place. And a car went on fire because it was all, like you need to watch it because I was actually sitting there and as somebody like who's only ever really produced house and techno and dance music, it's actually really inspiring thing to watch because you can just see how this guy was kind of like so locked into something but like had such a darkness in him 
and how he got it out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, art, art, it's art. It don't matter if you do techno or whatever. It's all expression. Yeah. From painting to whatever. That's why we all relate. I was just We're sitting there watching. I was like, I was like okay, I'm going to be talking to the two boys over Christmas. I have to tell them to watch this. Because like, yeah, even just like, if you're not massively into clothes or fashion, this is just, it's a really interesting watch of how he worked his way up from Savile Row, going to Italy. He was like, he was at a, Gucci, he was the head of Givenchy and everything at one stage. It's wow. it's mental. His name is deadly though for his designer. His name is oh, Lee McQueen. It was Lee Alexander, oh, and they told him to use his middle name because it sounded more grand. But he was really just a kid from east from the east end of London. Yeah, he, was, he was mad about his mum. His mum was a massive inspiration, and she sadly passed away. And uh, he basically he had told a friend of his. Oh, spoiler alert! But he had told a friend of his, the guy who worked with him, he said, uh, "I'm going to kill myself." He said, uh, "To one of the fashion shows, there's going to be a, a square that comes up from the ground, and I'm just going to." blow my head off in front of the media and that'll be it that was what he was going to do and he didn't do that thankfully but his mum passed away and then you know the way in the UK funerals drag on for like a week or two before they bury them and stuff and on the eve of the mother's funeral he hanged himself which was really sad I can't believe that was his initial intention that would have been crazy yeah I know you need to watch this thing it's like it's dark as hell and like his motif is really like skulls and stuff I fucking love skulls but um, you you need to see this it's actually a really cool thing speaking of fashion Mick when are you bringing out the polo neckline (laughs) <laughs> Mate, that is coming. That is coming soon, and Adam's going to be the first model. Be modeling the first I'm not going to lie, man. There's not many men can rock a polo neck regularly and make it look good, and you do. I'm not licking your arse. Mate, you I've, do. I've got, I've, I've, I've got about forty different colours of polo necks. Everyone thinks like they're my own ones. That I'm like trying to flog myself. Well, I like. thought you just had the same one. Nah, nah. I've got loads. <laughs> variations I've, I've of got brown. Loads. And army it's green. all variations like green, cream, Beige. brown, black. <laughs> Different beige, different shades of pastel yeah. kind of colours. Yeah. That's, that's my kind of no, That's sick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love a tartan like Mate, I tell you if any advice. Oh. If you've ever stuck for a night out or you're going to fancy dinner, you're going anywhere that you feel like I need to da- dress up a bit tonight, but you've got nothing to wear, always have a polo neck ready. You can rock it with a tracksuit, you can <laughs> rock it with a <laughs> pair of jeans. Yeah, but I'm I suppose you. tucked in it would yeah, be nice. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They make yeah. you feel hey. sexy though, I can't lie. Yeah, uh, they do. Make me feel French for some reason. Like, yeah. <laughs> Bonjour, bonjour. Yeah. <laughs> the real Maverick Sebal, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, what do you got? We spoke as well about like your lyrics and things that are like Let Me Go is actually about whiskey rather than like a lover or whatever. Like, it yeah. is a lover in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you ever found that, um, but like, is there anything that l- along those lines that you have a song that is about something totally different compared to what people think it is? What will it, is there any apart from Let Me Go that you can think of as a stand-up? Uh, do you know what? Let Me Go is, and people always on Let Me Go used to get the lyrics wrong as when they just were convinced they were, and I heard Katie B do a version of it on her One, one Extra Lives Lounge or something years ago and she's singing it so convincingly and then she sang these lyrics and I was like, that's not the lyrics of the tune. What? <laughs> and then I looked up the lyrics online Google, and like, everyone wrong, else yeah. was like, wrong. I was like, what? Did no one read? I printed out the lyrics. for What it. was the lyric they were getting wrong? What was oh, it? it was something they changed. It was at the end of one of the verses and it was something like the devil in me or something like that. I've never said that. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, something mental. But um, nah, not really. I've never really had like, yeah, no, nah, I've never really had that. I find you see some bands talking about it, um, like, they say they go to America, they go to other countries, and drug references. Not that you would have loads of them, but mm. that they don't carry. There's a great line in the song, like, I'm obsessed with the 1975, I'm a 15-year-old girl. Cause, because yeah. they've got the whole 80s, 80s aesthetic yeah, thing going, yeah, I love yeah. that, man. Even though like their fan base is like mainly young teenage girls. Yeah. Some of the stuff is really dark and arty, and you're like, yeah, whoa. Yeah. But there's a line, they have a song in a thing, uh, not enough noise and too much racket. 
and like racket obviously being yeah, sniff, yeah, yeah, yeah. but everybody assumes it's racket then. So like it's, so it's really clever. There's not enough noise but too much racket. They're like, oh, that doesn't really make sense. Like, it's about drugs, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nobody yeah, kind of yeah. gets Cobble. it, you know. Yeah, no, I've normally been fairly like straight up. I think you kind of get what you. Except when you're singing about whiskey and everyone thinks it's your ex girlfriend. Funny yeah. enough, just because I said I watched the guard, the film, the guard recently. I remember they're in the they're in um. I think one of the pros the one of the what were they? One of the escorts is after getting beaten up and the, yeah. the police officer's gone to meet her for a milkshake and then that guy comes over and he keeps going, This song fucking freaks me out and he's like, Why? What the fuck did he chuck off the Tallahatchi Bridge? And she's like, I thought I was a baby and he's like, I thought I was a gun. Sure, it could be fucking anything. Do you know what I mean? Them yeah, songs there, yeah, you haven't got yeah. too many of them. You're fairly straight to the point with what yeah, you're writing yeah, about. That's yeah. why I think people connect with with it personally and he doesn't have idiot fans because it's like mm -hmm. just really you know it's from him do you know what I'm saying it's not it's not no pop star written softly coated and even if the music's nice it's always you know that it's coming from some real place from him do you know mm -hmm. what I mean so it's not really like conception confusing mm -hmm. people me ah, what would you call that what would you call that style of songwriting like it's uh, metaphorical I guess mm. ish but yeah, it's I not suppose, I don't yeah. know I they're that literature child, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah You've name-checked Georgia Smith quite a bit in our chat. We're going to get to this now. It must be really inspiring to see Georgia. Like you said, you've known her, first heard her when she was 15. Mm -hmm. She's risen to, risen to the point now whereby all the critics adore her. Like you've got Will Smith talking about her on Snoop Instagram. <laughs> There's rumours <laughs> in the press. Halle Berry was the one that got me the most excited. And Drake has been she hitting tweeted, her up. She tweeted this, like, oh, she, she put up this, uh, Steuben showed me the other day, put up this Instagram and was like February twelfth, which is a tune we wrote a little while back. Yeah, this is this is so addictive, mate. I could. I was like, what? You never told me this. I was like, forget <laughs> everyone else. What? Halle Berry's been tweeting now. Man's gonna start tweeting her. Tweeting her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let so me write one for you, Johnny. Like, <laughs> yeah, it man. was me. Oh, well, just like it must be so inspiring to see that because, like I said, you know, Will Smith, you Halle Berry, Drake, apparently hitting her up. It's all over the press. She was linked with him. Like to see somebody and take them from you know being 15 into the studio writing and seeing the success you've been on tour with her as well you've guessed it on I've a number been, of dates I've been on like the majority nearly like yeah the majority of tours they've done since since she started really. been, yeah. yeah we just came back from she did a Hammerstein Ballroom in New York I came out and did Carry Me Home and we did Toronto as well and that was the last date of our tour um, and yeah it's just been it's been beautiful to watch and because we've always had music together and we've always been writing together we've always been close and being around and like really like I've really seen the progression from at the first gig in Manchester. Well, there was an initial first ever gig which was in Zubin's flat, yeah, which was in front of like East London, thirty people, yeah, literally, nah, yeah, 20, 30, thirty people. people yeah. Then she did another gig at an open mic, and then her first solo gig was in a cafe in Manchester. It was on her first first gig on her first tour, and it was upstairs in this cafe, and it was about. It was packed. It was like maybe 80 people, all packed. There was no stage. It was all on the floor and everyone was like basically over the band. And to see that, to then be doing like 2,000 nights at Brixton Academy. Uh, two nights. I was at, like, two, what? Sorry, sorry. Two, playing for five two, years? Two sold out nights at Brixton Academy in front of 5,000 people each night. Um, in, yeah. quick, in a quick amount of time as well. Yeah, yeah. She it's just, just, she's on a journey. Yeah, and it's just nice to see. It's, it's, the, it's the first journey apart from my own that i've been able to witness from the start you know especially even just like her growing up as a person as well yeah. 15 turning to 20 well is she 22 now 21 21 at the moment yeah just yeah. complete yeah and just to see like like you said like 
you know, the minute people started hearing the music, everyone just fell in love with it, you know. Snoop Dogg was at a show in, in LA and chilling with her and the band and everyone, every night of the tour, someone knew ASAP came to the show that we did in LA and came with ASAP Frog and came back and chatting to all of us and Drake came out on the Toronto show and that was in front of like, that was, it was end of last year and it was in front of like 300 people and he came out and yeah, it was just, yeah, it's mad. It's mad to see the love there, you know. Somebody else you're really close with, your mates, um, and you worked with them as well, Idris Elba. How did that whole link come about? Um, that link came about through, well, it's a long story, actually. That link came about through I, me and uh, a cl- cl- good close friend of mine, Liam Bailey, got into an argument with each other outside a... Was it Brits? Outside the Brits. Oh. Got into a physical argument with each other, yeah. We've known each other for years, right? Oh, and we got into funny. a physical argument with hashtag each other. Hashtag whiskey. Yeah, hashtag whiskey. Let me go. Ah. <laughs> That's what Liam was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me go. Yeah, and um, of some fella stocky little fella jumps on me back it's like don't do it boys don't do it <laughs> and it was Stephen graham the actor Stephen graham from this is england and snatch and, and snatch yeah. and everything like just a legend so i got to know him over the years and i bumped into him at a f- festival it was uh like v fest or something backstage a couple of years ago and he was like oh i want to introduce you to a friend of mine and introduce me to idris and Idris was like, oh, I've got this project. I want to fly out to South Africa. And I thought it was bullshitting, to be honest. You hear a lot. We were all, everyone's had a bit of a drink. And you hear loads of things backstage. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It was a lo- like, lovely fellow when, when, when I met him. And he'd been a fan of the music and stuff like that. So, And then a couple of weeks later, he hit me up and was like, yeah, let's do it. This come was out. the Nelson Mandela thing. This was to come out to South Africa. for. We went out to Johannesburg for about like a couple of weeks to do the, uh, yeah, to do the Nelson Mandela. He just... Been, he just starred as Nelson Mandela in Me Mandela so mm-hmm. he wanted to do a soundtrack inspired by his time there so he kind of he had us in the studio and it was there was nothing done beforehand so he had us in the studio and he flew me Mr. Hudson um, me Mr. Hudson George the poet and a couple other people and had loads of like um, South African musicians um, Tandiswa who's a fantastic singer loads of like just loads of great great musicians um local musicians um but it was in supposed to be inspired by his experience of south africa and and his experience of south africa welcoming welcoming him and you know him really feeling like a part of his heart was there so he's basically sat us down for the first couple of days and he's telling us all these stories and he's inviting like sadly nelson mandela was very ill at the time and he was in hospital um but his his grandkids were coming in regular and sitting with us and telling us stories about their granddad and it was just it was just uh, for me uh just interested in in people and different parts of the world and just history and everything it was such an inspirational moment you know um and he basically was trying to inspire all us to then make the music that was going to be me mandela so yeah he just had loads of really brought us to loads of different really interesting spots over the two weeks and you know inspired us man to make them to make the the, the album and it was that yeah. you give me love track is serious yeah it was a thank serious you. tune thank you very much um somebody else you worked with we spoke about him previously off air k coke i remember we were yes. hammering that tune on the radio and like he had the world at his feet yeah. it was like yeah. signed by jay-z and rock nation had some legal trouble then mm. got out of that and was fine what's he at these days still making music um he put out an EP at the start of the year, I think, and now he's back um, and he's firing out tunes. And yeah, I think it's the start of his rebirth at the moment. Um, so yeah, he's, I think he's just kept himself tucked away 
um, working on stuff, and and I think now he's got. Say, so he released the tune with some Albanian. Yeah, he's been doing. I think he's he's got quite a lot of success in Eastern Europe, and I, I'm not sure if he's signed anything out there, but I, I know he's been working a lot with some big Albanian acts as well, and he's just released two tunes recently, um, and they seem to be doing really well. So yeah, he's always going to be good, man. He's very talented. He's he's a good-hearted brother as well. You know, I've known him and his family for a little while, and um, yeah, more success to him, I think. It's a big thing in the media these days um, and amongst artists as well that kind of mental health mm-hmm. is really kind of being brought to the forefront and stuff like that. Like it must be so disheartening to read so-so reviews of something that you've put your life and soul into for like, like you said the second album, three years. Yeah. You yeah. know, like how do you deal with something like that? You de- the best way to deal with it is forcing self-belief if you yeah. don't have it. As you, you've got to believe it. You've got to like... Because it is ba- basically if the majority of us, not all of us, some people treat it, music as a nine to five and just make money, but the majority of us, like me and Adam, yeah, I lost we, my hair to this. We, we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Like we're really doing this for passion. For like this is our lives. These aren't just. It's not just what pays the bills. It's also like what we live and breathe. Mm. You know, we wouldn't get up in the morning if music hasn't been ins- hadn't inspired us to do so. You know what I mean, um, so. It it was very yeah it does get at times it can be it can be quite difficult you know um, especially when you're being so vulnerable like basically creating music and giving out is is like telling someone something really vulnerable and then them going oh yeah stupid bastard. do you know what I mean no, it's, it's like, like oh it's my like god you just your broke out bro it's like getting your it's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like meeting someone for the first time you just shook their hand yeah and they're like all right get your dick out then. <laughs> You're like, what now? In here? <laughs> I just fucking, I just met you. You're like, oh, I'll go on then. It's all small and that. You take it out, you're all conscious. That's what I think it's like. That's how I feel anyway. That's what I get weird right, even playing people. Being, yeah, it's, it's being like very vulnerable yeah. and it's being vulnerable of not like, over the top. Uh, and it's like and everyone hears it. You know what I mean? So you've got to just, the only way of combating that, because you're always going to release music and being vulnerable is the whole point of why we love it because it helps us express our what's going on in our heads, mm. you know? Um, you just have to build up a wall of self-belief. And if you don't have it, you just need to keep building it. Man. Yeah, That's it. Upcoming tour, two Irish dates, end of March, mm-hmm. early April, Cypress mm-hmm. Avenue in Cork, the Academy in Dublin. You looking forward to uh, performing at home again? Most definitely, most definitely. I'm looking forward to coming back more as well. Like This is just the first small, we've got like 13, Wexford gigs, 13 dates. Yeah, and I want to come back and do more. This is like getting a band back on the road, reintroducing everything, you know, um, starting playing new stuff again. And this is my first, it's my first band tour since the end of 2015. We've done to- other tours since acoustic tours and stuff but yeah this is my first band tour since then so it's just getting everything rejigged and then yeah we're going to be back and forth as this is only the, the the start of it you know i think i already know your answer to this adam tour life is it all it's cracked up to be cool cities <laughs> 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 um hmm. think of the wild days with plan b I remember your stories because mm. there are some people that like i've met over the years who like don't like touring and like I saw, he yeah. doesn't. Funny enough, he doesn't like touring. But it's because he's Not such me. a no, no plan B. Oh, he's plan such B. an overcreative. He'd just rather be filming or making music. Touring is like it's a vehicle for him to do what he wants to do, but it's also a barricade for him to do what he wants to do because he doesn't want to be repeating himself, doing the same songs every night. He'd rather be creating. So he don't like touring, but but he's also the center of attention as well. It's different. But um, 
Because I recently saw Niall Horn from One Direction went in and did his solo thing after yeah, him with kind of country-esque and he was talking about how he loves going on tour like for a year at a time because it just feels like it's him and his mates on the road Well it is like that world. if you have a this is a good thing we had a good family on tour and then even the fact that Mav the first tour I ever done with Plan B it was just family like all my friends were on the, like my friends from my like, area Jamie were like Jamie were supporting that's right? it so the two bands that were supporting were all our best friends like the other band When We Are Kings and um and Mav was the other support act, so it was just like, it was literally a group of 30, 40 friends just going on tour, and it was just good, like all day, it's just positive, like you wake up every day, I relate it to even being back to Ireland, yeah, because you go back to England, I feel like there's less crack, people are a lot more serious, a lot more hustle and bustle, and it's different, and when I come back here, I always get way more relaxed, and it's more focused on just laughing, and just actually just laughing all day, and just telling jokes, and when you wake up on tour, you might wake up hungover and all this stuff that's way worse when you're just at home, but you wake up and then someone walks past your tour bus bed and next thing you're just laughing about something and then it's just all fun and games. It's like, just, it's like, it's like one big lunchtime at school, just constantly going on. And then once you do, leading up to the peak, play the gig and then once you come off, everyone's just in some weird, euphoric, weird vibe and it's just like, there's nothing like it in the world. There's obviously um, a million hard things when it comes to... Uh, Touring, even mainly just traveling. Everything else is sick. Our job's I'm the sickest seeing, job seeing in the world. Family and stuff like yeah, that, right? yeah. You go in a little bubble. I do. I go in a little bubble where I just start not touching my phone. Not even, mm. not even consciously. I just, I'm so engulfed in just what's world. happening that I'm like, whatever. And then you come off tour and you're a bit guilty. And blah, blah, blah. that's why it's a bit of a, it's a weird one dynamically. We're not going to get too deep, but it is a weird one dynamically. But overall, uh, so far, I love touring. Love touring. Mick, what's it like being the star of the show? And uh, doing all that as well. Uh, I don't know. From for me, like for me, for me, shows are like uh, they're a release as well. They're like it's like I've never I've never been to therapy, but that's my therapy. That is my like real release. I feel like you know you can have certain shows that at moments you almost feel like you're on you're on some like hallucinogenic drug or something like that you know what I mean it really is addictive and it takes you away and that, that, it's how pure many, it just feels pure you know how many people stand there chucking buckets loads of energy and yeah. everything in, like it's not like if you wanted to sound egotistical you could say it's like a even for me I'm just a guitarist but it's like it's not like a god flow or nothing but like because I don't like the worship side of it or anything like that, mm -hmm. but you're on stage giving what you're giving, which you've taken however long in your life to give it, and then people are taking it in, screaming and dashing it back out you. It's like it's nearly like the fountain of youth. You feel better, you look better for a while. It's like there has to, but there has to be some transaction. It's not one it's way. Not, yeah, and that's it. It's not it's one like, way. It's not like necessarily center of attention. It's like yeah. you're for me. It's almost like you're vocalizing how they're feeling. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm just a channel of everything. I'm that's my role. A conduit. Do you get what I mean? So for me, it's like when you have a great audience, you have a great show. Yeah. You know, like the audiences for me, I feed off that. Like I tell the audiences more energy. I need it. Just give it. Just give me some energy. Hype me up. Like that's that's what gets me going. So yeah, I, mean, I love touring. I love shows, and yeah, yeah, performing is the the expressive part of it. You know. Yeah. It's a different landscape nowadays releasing long players like it's mostly a streaming world Spotify yeah do you find that in terms of what you're going to be putting out in terms of physical products mm -hmm. you know there won't be as many pressed and you don't expect to sell as many physical units as opposed to selling downloads and streams and stuff like that do, do you do, would you rather hark back to the way it used to be or 
I'd, I'd, as, as long as people hear the record, I don't get, care if they, whatever way, if, if it gets into people's ears, um, that's, you can't really go, oh, I wish it was back to physicals, or I wish it was this. you got to move with the time. Yeah, you're just being infatuated with that as a kid. Yeah, you got like, it stuff. is what it is now, you know what I mean? Oh, if people, if you have one physical sailing, 100 million uh, streams, if they come to shows, you're good anyway, yeah. so it doesn't make a That's difference. That's the physical transaction. That's the, do you know what I mean? And people are still coming to shows in abundance, you know what I mean? Like, that, that has never died down in music. Like the physical people, the presence of people being at shows. That's the oh. only time you can tell. The yeah. views mean nothing, really. You get money, but the, the shows is physical. I can see you. You got something from me. You're there. But streams is so many cheating forms of yeah. doing it. And, and but there's there, there's also like there's also the you know the the, the the days of everyone selling really well physically on physical sales. Sorry, it, yeah, it's gone on a mass scale. But there's still like you know Rag and Bone Man. He did a hell of a lot. Like it was a ridiculous percentage. Like eighty percent was physical. Wow! So there is still a market. There is still people who go to Tesco's and get the top ten, and you know what I mean. There is still that so buy for board days. If you're if you're, if you're yes. marking yourself to adult crowd, then they're not with my mum. Doesn't have Spotify. My no, nan doesn't know what Spotify is. There's people still physical. buying records. And in a weird way, it's kind of come around now where everyone who would have thought. I'm going to see 16-year-old girls in 2018 go to a Georgia Smith show and both of them come out with a, a vinyl. Vinyl, yeah. Like, that was my next question. Vinyls. Are you pressing at the vinyl? Of course we vinyl are. Resurgence. Mate, the vinyl's already pressed. Sweet. That's the first thing I was like, we did it on the first album, never did it on Where's the second. Where's mine? What? Where's mine? Well, you don't have a copy yet. I've only, it's only the, test, only the test press is done. It's like Graham Norton, you know, when he pulls out the vinyl version at the end of the music, yeah, the guest yeah. and goes like, oh, this isn't out yeah. yet and this isn't actually yeah. it, but blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, but... um. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, vinyl for me. We never did it on my second. I'm gonna at some point go back and do it for the second. Yeah. What? Didn't you? No, we did it for the first, and then Universal did a back, back to black. Um, all the like the soul records that they liked over the years, and they pressed up oh, Lonely Out of Brave again. Um, and uh, but yeah, that was the first port of call, man. That's yeah, I really and this album for me needs to be something that's heard in that format as well. I think people will really connect with it. So it's a CD and vinyl thing. You're not going to press any USB keys in the shape of your head or anything, no? I nah. actually bought an album like that. No. Nah. Uh, Uncle, you know James Lavelle? Yeah. Uncle, yeah. U-N-K-L-E. The last album, The Road, they put out on a USB key and it was cut into the shape of having on my phone, you know, like the point meant, the logo, yeah, things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. One of them was the actual shape of the USB and I'm such a, like, a little... Collector See, I, 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 like, I like things like that. Like, it's a weird rarity kind of thing. And I, I never listened to the album off the USB. I listened to it on Spotify. But but I just wanted the yeah, USB. It's to have it. Like, it's to have it. Yeah. Like, Georgia, they just put out um, recently, I've got a copy at home, on tape. Man, I'm the exact same. Like, I have the last Kasabian album on tape because it was the cheapest thing you could pre-order in the online store in order to get the pre-sale access to the gigs. Speaking of your two, like, end of March, uh, Cork and Dublin, will we see you back in the summer? At all festival dates or maybe some smaller things? Most definitely, I'm gonna be back here as much as we can. We're already formulating some ideas of. of you should of, do a little pub circuit, acoustic yeah, nah, for just I, jokes. Just like, like you know, I've I've never played a show apart from in Enniscorthy at Strawberry Festival. I've never played a show in Wexford. So there's loads of venue. There's loads of there's loads of venues up and down the, up and up and down the country that I really want to play. Imagine him in Sky in the Ground. <laughs> that would really really work, yeah, man. They like yeah. I've seen some bands out the back of the smoking area, of the Sky. They have that's a roof you. now that's retractable yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. It would really really work. But I remember being in Rathmines in Dublin randomly about two years ago and seeing you on a poster. That yeah, you and we doing. did it because I was doing. I did it at the 
start of 2016 when I just come back from Australia I did um like a couple of weeks tour it was just me and my guitarist I was like let me do just some small venues and let's just blast it out with just me and you I'd ne I hadn't done it like I was like bloody hell what all these years and I'd, I'd the last kind of acoustic run was when I was unsigned that I'd done um and so we just started doing loads of shows we went over to Europe and did like uh, a couple of dates in Germany and different parts of Europe and then came back and was just doing random ones, like little small little venues, me and my guitarist. And we did it in a, oh, what was the venue called? It was like a ship, like in the shape of a ship. And it was like Having a clue. I just remember seeing the poster and I was like, oh, maps, they yeah, yeah. acoustic gigs, that would be sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, that's it, gentlemen. Thank you very much well, for your time. Thank you very much for having us. Finish Fool's Love. Let that be the it final thought. Be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either That's one of you take it. I don't know. Somebody needs to do it'll something. Get about finished it. because it keeps re, re, re popping it's up. About, yeah, it's not so going nowhere. It's not going anywhere, and that's a sign that it needs. And to And we done. didn't do it justice. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It. And it's one of those tracks as well that I really think the more stripped back it stays, the better. Yeah. There's something about that tune, man. There's something sick, and I know we're talking about it here. People haven't heard it. As well. You will yeah, in the future. Yeah, big up Curtis as well, who who was uh, you know an influential part of that. Yeah. One of mixed mates from school. Yeah. What does he do? So he well No, for a job. Oh, for a job. He runs Because I wanna just segue into the fact he, that he randomly he, produces he runs videos, a, does videos a, every the now website and then. for a big um a big broadsheet in, in England. Yeah. It's um, a man business here. Yeah, but he also is like just a lovely fella to have around and just he'll play me mad shit or he just make some mad noises and I just get inspired by it, so he was a, uh, you know. In fact, he's like a you. He's one that will come with some random Spotify artist and be like, "Yo, listen to this lad," and you'd never heard of him. Send you off on a tangent lad. and inspire you. Yeah, he's, he's wicked, man. Yeah.